Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Hey, listen, right now, folks, um, and we're going to start to bring you some kind of like special reports, a little bit more in-depth. Um, as a result of what's been going on, well, I would like to say for the last couple of weeks, but man, we're talking about stuff that's been going on for four or 500 years, okay? And, you know, we were faced with this unbelievable COVID-19 where we got an economic downturn. And, and then on top of all that, we're actually seeing some of the most blatant, horrific racism we've ever seen. So I wanted to make sure that we had some good discussions about it. And I want to be able to bring in the right kinds of folks to be able to help me with that, because at the same time, you know, we're going to have to learn as executive leaders to be a little bit more vulnerable here, especially if you're white. All right. So I might today say the wrong thing, ask the wrong thing, but at least my guest and my co-host have given me the permission to be able to do that so that we can do the right things and we can help everybody. Because with everything going on right now, I think it's essential that we can't continue the conversation about race in this country. So many times we cover it and then we stop. Like, oh, we checked that box. <laughs> not, not a good thing, right? And so I want to be able to talk about it. When I wrote my book, The Hero Factor in 2018, I took a stand with all that's transpired since then. I am using this platform to address a very present issue that continues to plague our society. All right. It's time to get uncomfortable and have the difficult conversations in order to be more inclusive. OK, more understanding, tolerant of one another. Right. And let's get this thing fixed in some way, shape or form. And we're not going to fix it overnight. You're not going to fix it by naming a chief diversity officer. You have to do a lot more than that. You're not going to fix it by saying a statement. You're going to have to get active. You're going to have to really look in the mirror. You're going to have to confront some things. And we're going to, have to talk about some stuff. Uh, quite frankly, some shit that we might not want to talk about. And I'll say it just exactly like that. So I've asked someone to join me today, my co-host, and she's a good friend, Rolanda Watts. She's a CEO of Wattsworth Productions. She's a journalist. She's a podcaster on C-Suite Radio. She's an author. She's a comedian, talk show host. She's had her own nationally syndicated talk show. She is a contributing editor now for C-Suite TV and the C-Suite Network. Rolanda, Welcome. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here, Jeffrey. And it's a joy, really. This is an exciting, an exciting event to be a part of and an you know, exciting moment. I don't think anyone else is doing this. I think we're the only ones doing it. You know, oh. I, I see Hannity or somebody else. They'll bring some folks on, but not like let's have some. They're doing it, in my opinion, for titillation, for to be able to just drive the ratings. I, I'm not trying to drive ratings. I'm just trying to you know, understand it. What am I doing wrong? What do I need to do? And then let's talk about these things. So let's talk about our first guest. Man, she is a retired LAPD sergeant with a 20-year career exclusively in patrol and specialized units within all four bureaus in the city of Los Angeles, South, Central, West, and Valley. Wow. It's amazing. She is also assigned. She was also assigned to the inf infamous gang unit in operations South Bureau, known as Crash, which is community resource against street hoodlums. Sergeant Cheryl Dorsey, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Well, it is good to have you here, and I, you know, no matter what circumstances, because at least now we're talking. I think it's really good. Now, I want to talk first off. Question, and and Rose is going to jump in. I know because she she she's so good at this. 
we've all we've all at sometimes experienced to some degree we've seen what's happening now right we've seen it all right to some level and then there's been protests and i can remember back in the 60s you know i was even bused from one school to the other growing up in georgia okay and i was living on the wrong side of the tracks as some people would have said so i was bused in a different way but nonetheless I think what I'm seeing right now, people are more vocal. And even in some places like even in South Dakota, where I'm at right now, we've seen protests. But it seems to feel different. Do you think it's different right now than it has been? Well, it's different in that it's um, all inclusive. It's It seems to be multi-generational. And so um, that's different uh, in terms of the eventual outcome. I'm not so sure that that's going to be different, sadly. Yeah. Well, history hasn't shown us that, right? Right, right. How about for you, Ro? What do you think? Well, you know, I just, you know, you can change laws and clearly there needs to be some reform and clearly there needs to be some accountability. That's why we need to go to our local officials and know what's going on. But I'm just really concerned about the culture that's been ingrained, just not only in the police department, but in so many different aspects of America. How do you unwind the attitude? Because the police department seems to be a culture and, and it just seems to be that's the way we work and particularly in black and brown neighborhoods. Yeah, How do you change that? Or, or could you tell us about the culture? Yeah, so that's absolutely true. And, you know, thankfully I have the benefit of having worked in all four geographical bureaus within the city of Los Angeles. So what that means is I've been south of the Santa Monica Freeway and for my local folks, you understand what I'm saying, South Central Los Angeles, we're black and brown folks. I've also worked north of the Santa Monica Freeway, which are some of the more affluent areas. And I know for a fact, having witnessed it, that police officers who work the South End one month, one deployment period, let's say, and they are on the transfer in 28 days to go to Pacific Division or West LA Division or some other division where there's people who don't look like me, they comport themselves very differently. So you understand it's a mindset. If you can be nice one month (laughs) and not so nice the next month, if you can uh, follow policy and procedure and treat people with dignity and respect one month and not so much the next month, you understand that this is a mindset and this it's the culture, it's the way it is, it's what's tolerated. And I think part of the problem has been for so long that black and brown folks wouldn't complain. And I talk a lot about not only just making a phone call complaint, but actually creating a paper trail because our belief has always been and kind of still now, why would I complain? Nobody listens. Nobody pays us any attention. They minimize and and mitigate um, our quality of life concerns. So why even voice it? And listen, and there was a time on the LAPD, if you came into the station and asked for the watch commander to say something, you'd get thrown out on your ass. So let's not pretend that that's not a thing. Or worry somebody will follow you home. What's yeah. so the culture? Do, do, do you do you want to give up though? I mean, I, I hear that in your voice, Cheryl. That you know, hey, and I totally get it. You know, I like like God dang it, I got to do this again, and it's got to be just absolutely draining. Well, you know what? For me, my coping mechanism is, and I'll say it this way: I care, but I don't, because mm. I have to. I have to be able to say what I say 
I'm hopeful when I say it. I hope I'll say something that'll resonate with someone. My message is not for everyone on both sides of the equation. I get that. I don't take it personal. If you disagree, I say that all the time. Your agreement is not required. And so I haven't given up in terms of speaking my truth. And, and, and I hope that at some point it will change, but understanding this has been going on for so long is so ingrained in the police department. It's top down. And when I say top, I mean police chief because every police chief was once a police officer. And we know that there are some high ranking officials out there who talk stupid. There's a Mississippi chief recently who said there was nothing wrong with what happened to George Floyd. (laughs) There's a major on the Tulsa Oklahoma Police Department, who's being investigated by Internal Affairs, for recently saying uh, black folks need to be shot more often, probably. <laughs> so when you've got the top talking like that, you understand why the troops are so confused and misled, and why the good cops, because there are many. As a journalist yeah. working in the street, I know that there are many, but they don't say anything. It only counts when you stand up and say something. It, how difficult is it for a good cop to say, "Hey, man, that's wrong. Get your knee off the guy." It's not that it's difficult, but the culture is such that, you know, hazing and ribbing and being teased is is a thing. And not only that, when you talk a certain way, you better be ready for the repercussions. You know, there's there's backlash. It could get you killed depending on what agency you work on. If you don't have enough friends out there on your shift and you ask for backup, and everybody is filing their fingernails, <laughs> stopping at red lights before they get to you, it's a problem. And so police chiefs could change that situation tomorrow quite simply by creating a safe zone where officers can report bad deeds, not feel intimidated like I believe those three officers did who were standing by with Chauvin participating and actually providing shelter and cover for him as he choked, murdered Mr. Floyd. You stand by and watch because Derek Chauvin was a jackass. He had 18 personnel complaints. It wasn't like they didn't know who he was. And I talk about the kind of person he is. Every police station has one. I call him Billy Badass. You know, you're you're only somebody when you come to work and put on that uniform because any other time, he probably was the kind of guy who used to get his ass kicked every day on his way to and from school. But now he's a uniformed police officer and he's somebody. And so he's the kind of guy that folks, when you come to work and you look on the watch commander's board and you see your name partnered with him, you're like, Lieutenant, Sergeant, can I work the desk? You don't want to work with him because you know he's bad news. Yeah. Well, and the, and and then we take Minneapolis, look at Minneapolis. The, I think three of those officers, at least two, at least I know two of them, had only been on the job for a month. That doesn't make it right in any way, shape, or form. But that intimidation that they feel internally, as you just brought out, is very prevalent. You know, I just had a question come in. Do you think more police outreach is needed to bridge the relationship gap between black people and the police? And this is from Greg Levine, one of our listeners. I'm not sure what he means by outreach. I certainly think if if both sides can relate to one another, you know, I think community-based policing was a great model to have when I was on the Los Angeles Police Department. You kind of get to know um, the community. Community gets to know you. We have on LAPD, um, a rank called a P3 plus one, a senior lead mm-hmm. officer who works uh, in conjunction with, back then it was neighborhood watch captains. And you know that was somebody that the neighborhood could call if they had an issue or a concern. And that senior lead officer knew his area and the people in that area almost intimately. And so it's not a us versus them. When I look at you and I know you and you look at me and feel comfortable and not afraid when you know it's Officer Dorsey or Sergeant Dorsey who's rolling up on that radio call. 
Mm-hmm. Hey, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back after this message. C-Suite Radio. Hey, we are back in live cast of All Business with Jeffrey Hazel right here on C-Suite Network. We're talking about Black Lives Matter. We're talking about all issues related to race because we're seeing it right now. We've got Cheryl Dorsey, former LAPD uh, sergeant with us right now. And of course, my co-host, Rolanda Watts, uh, from all things Rolanda, I have to say it that way, because everything's about Rolanda, and it's awesome. It's so good to have her. Hey, we, we hear about the blue wall, uh, Cheryl. Do you think um, do you think that the blue wall should be used to protect police officers who have been charged or accused of a crime? Well, I mean, the, you know, the, the blue wall is just that culture thing, right? It's, it's, yeah. it, it's officers, and, and this was ingrained, talked about, constantly when I was a young recruit candidate, it's important for you to back your partner, for your partner to know that you will back them. And sometimes back them is kind of code talk for, are you going to participate? Are you going to be down with the bullshit that might go on in the field? Can I trust you? Can I trust you? Because if I can trust you, then, you know, it's all good. But if I can't trust you, you get a jacket, uh, you know, you know what the kids say on the street, uh, snitches get stitches. Well, that's true on the police department, right? And so, you know, unless and until police chiefs create an opportunity, create create that safe zone where officers know if I come, why would a police officer go and report anything that his partner is doing? And listen, this is not just a police officer. If you work in a hospital, if you work in a bank and your coworker is doing something wrong and you go to the manager, the CEO, and you know that the manager is friendly with that person, now your job is on the line. Are you going to tell when you don't have the backing of your police chief, of your watch commander, of your lieutenant who's responsible for making sure that every week you don't have Tuesday and Friday off <laughs> as opposed to two days in a row? Let's look at some of these cases specifically. Like we just had the latest case and trust and believe, I believe there'll be plenty more in the next 60 days. But in the in the in the taser case at the Wendy's, there had to be 50 million other things this guy could have done other than kill the guy. I mean, number one, is tasering a life threatening situation? Could the guy have just walked home? Could he have called somebody the way that they do in the suburbs? Call your mom, walk home, leave your car here. He had his car. He had his driver's license. Uh, he was running away from the officer. You started the conversation, Cheryl, by feeling very doubtful that this might end in a conviction. Help me understand why it wouldn't. Because jurors have a hard time um, disagreeing with an officer's version of events. And that's why, you know, I think so many times an officer is so willing to take a life because when they do that, there's only one version of events. We don't know what Mr. Brooks was thinking about. We don't know what his intentions were. We don't know when he turned around, if he was just turning around and and raised the um, taser because he was trying to maintain his balance and and see how far ahead of the officers he was. Now they say he turned around to shoot. We don't know. He's not here. He can't say. But clearly the officers had an opportunity to do a plethora of things other than shoot him. But I said all along, and I knew this before I even heard the audio, this was punishment. See, when you piss a cop off, and Ro, you probably heard me say this before, Uh, contempt of cop is a phrase that I trademarked. You piss an officer off, there's a price to pay. And and generally, we see that price being murder. We saw Eric Garner piss Daniel Pantaleo off when he didn't turn around quick enough. Daniel, uh, Mike Brown, when he didn't get out of the street quick enough for Darren Wilson. Sandra Bland, when the officer asked her, are you bothered? And she said, you're damn right. And, And he said, put the cigarette out. And she wouldn't. 
there's a price to pay. And so these officers lost their taser. And I'm going to tell you, police are just the absolute worst. They were going to get back to the police station and they were going to be teased for at least the next three years about ever. <laughs> and they so, look like bumbling cops. And so you hear the officer say, he took my fucking taser. He took my fucking taser. That's what had him most upset. And he couldn't catch him. He couldn't control him. You see two fully grown men unable to control one drunk. (laughs) And that was embarrassing. So he gets the guy's taser and he takes off with it because the guy said, I'm going to tase you. And he's like, no, you're not. And he takes the taser and he runs. And because they can't catch him and he took my taser, he shoots and he kills him. He murders him. And what does the officer do? He takes a little quick victory lap and he says, got him. Yeah, it's it, like you're hunting down something. And I'm I'm listening to you, Cheryl, and I I gotta tell you, I'm just blown over by. And I think what other people are gonna listen to is it. Are we that naive? Are we that naive to understand that this shit's going on? You know, not just a fundamental what you just described, but but what's going on in the police force? The way officers have to behave in order to fit in, the way the authors have to buckle down in order to make sure they don't die, make sure they don't get hurt, make sure that they even get their days off when they want to get there. Are we that freaking naive? Well, you know, if you haven't been there, then you don't understand it. And that's why I speak about it, because I want people to know for real, for real, from somebody who was there, who saw it, who witnessed it, who participated in some of it, not the bullshit, not the misconduct, but I get police culture. And I knew before I even heard anything, I knew when the officer lost his taser, he was thinking, oh shit, (laughs) I gotta get my damn taser because, you know, police officers, they play pranks on you in the station and, you know, they just, they just do all sorts of things. Yeah, He he was going to be called taser boy for the rest of his his career. (laughs) I mean, that's that's what would have happened. He'd come to roll call and they'd probably have stuff sitting in, you know, in his seat where he would normally sit that, you know, a little toy gun, a little, you know, miniature taser, you know, put whipped cream on the seat. I mean, police do the stupidest stuff. They're just giant children for the most part. Well, guess what? And then his name wouldn't be blasted all over the world front pages. Let me ask you this, Cheryl. There's a lot of talk about defunding. What does that mean? And how do you react to that? Well, you know, I don't know what these kids are talking about when they talk about defunding, because first of all, know this, a real a mayor is not going to allow anybody to come in and tell them how to run their city, nor is a police chief going to relinquish that great autonomy that they control. And more importantly, as a ground pounder, a street officer like I was, I could give a damn about whether or not you take money from uh, the ivory tower (laughs) in the administration building and give it to some civilian group. Because I can tell you right now, police officers all over the world, 18,000 departments are all collectively sucking their teeth and rolling their eyes back in their head because it will change nothing about what they do day to day. Even in the midst of all this going on, everything that we know and have seen since 2014 over and over and over again with the spate of police killings wasn't enough to rein in Chauvin as he sat there in his arrogance for eight minutes and 46 seconds on the neck of George Floyd, knowing he was being recorded, knowing that people were trying to intervene and save this man's life. Does he give a damn? And 17, 18 past offenses. That's Why the would he do anything me. different? Why they would keep... he do anything different? Well, exactly. well, he's already he beat it before. Be... If you beat it before, you know what? He's already been proven 17 times. Hey, 
I guess I'm going to get by with it for 18. And they just recirculate them, moving to a different way. Absolutely. And listen, you know, these 57 cops over in uh, Buffalo, New York, who who, uh, jumped off the ERT, emergency response team, because they're all butthurt because two of their colleagues have been fired and charged for shoving a 75-year-old man down and cracking his damn head open. So these cowards in protest, they quit the emergency response team. I say if they were about that life, if they really Billy Badass, don't don't bullshit, quit. But, wait, but quit. that's not the only one. We saw the SWAT people after their leader took a kneel. We're seeing cops after the chief takes a kneel with the community. They're saying, we quit. What does that say about them? It tells you, it tells you the culture. It tells you the mindset. Uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms said that she just had eight officers resign from her department. And she tried to downplay it and say that, you know, it's not unusual for officers to resign. But I tell you what's going to happen is they're going to resign from the places where they can't do the bullshit that they do. And then they're going to go next door to the department where there's a chief like the one in Mississippi or the major in Tulsa, Oklahoma, who said blacks should probably be shot more. That's where they want to work. Or work at all. Okay. And then they'll return. They'll take the pension. They'll take the pieces. They'll, you know, move on. Hey, let's, uh, let me take a quick break and come back. C-Suite Radio. Hey, this is Jeffrey Hazen. And we're live right here on LinkedIn and Facebook as we're bringing you uh, absolutely just some good in-depth discussions, some real raw discussions, as you could tell from the language, not just for me, but from everybody. That's okay with that. I have no problem with that. I get red marks all the time. <laughs> right. You mind. thought I just did it in my comedy show. See, you do it on yeah, your I show get I get bleeped all the time, right? That's okay. We're talking with Cheryl Dorsey, retired Sergeant, Los Angeles Police Department. Of course, my good friend, Rolanda Watts, who's my co-host uh, on these shows to make sure that I don't say the wrong thing. Look, I'm a white male and I'm telling you flat out, I want to make sure that I'm doing the right things the right way. And I don't want to have any biases against it because, you know, someone says, hey, (laughs) all lives matter. Bullshit. You say black lives matter. doesn't mean all lives don't. And by the way, people who say, hey, I don't see color. Bullshit. I can tell that these two women are black women. I can tell you that right now. So I thank you. Yeah. (laughs) And but we should be able to be able to have these open kind of conversations. And and I think that's important. Hey, listen, Cheryl, you wrote a book and and I have not had a chance to read it, but I it's on my summer reading list. I'm telling you that because I want to make sure that I'm I'm getting educated, right? And your book was Black and Blue, the creation of a social advocate. You talk about contempt of cop. What's contempt of cop? Uh, it's it's what we see occurring. It's when you when you anger a police officer. And I think yeah. that's the difference between male officers and females. Of course, yeah. I think girls are amazing and we rock. Um, we don't take stuff personally like the guys do. And, you know, as soon as someone questions a male officer's authority or ask a question one too many, the first thing you know, is like two rams butting heads now. Totally. And so sometimes that price could be very simple. It could be, I'm just going to inconvenience you and I'm going to impound your car and make you walk home, or I'm going to arrest you on a Friday night knowing you probably don't have the financial wherewithal to bail out of jail. You spend the weekend in jail. I know the case is BS because we see officers arrest folks for interfering and resisting all the time, and it always winds up being a DA reject, insufficient evidence to prove that occurred. But guess what? I just took 72 hours out of your life. I had you in jail all weekend long, legally, legitimately, I thought I had sufficient cause to arrest you. The DA said, no, no harm, no foul. That's contempt of cop. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. What can, what's an average 
citizen? What can I do exactly. to help overcome this bias that we're seeing to, you know, to, to, to kind of right some of the racial injustice as much as we can in law enforcement or elsewhere? What can I do? It's a multifaceted approach. One of the main things is to get involved and get engaged. When you have an opportunity to attend a community meeting and speak to a police chief, ask them those tough, tough questions. Ask them, what are they doing about errant officers? Ask your police chief, have you created a safe zone so that the good cops, who I believe far outnumber the bad ones, can come and report to you safely and not be retaliated against? You need to, as a citizen, not ignore those jury summons when you get one, because who wants to go to jury duty, right? Nobody. Yeah. But it's important that you be on these jurors. And then lastly, but not lastly, it's important that you vote because every police chief who may or may not um, agree with quality of life issues, may not take your concerns to heart, serves at the pleasure of an elected mayor. And one thing politicians understand are votes. District attorneys who refuse to prosecute civilly um, or criminally police officers who misuse their oath are elected officials, sheriffs, elected officials. And so there are some things that folks can do. And then the other thing that I say is, if you don't like what's going on on your police department, get on it, join it. Wow. You, can, you can't make changes, not wholesale, if you're not there. Wouldn't it have been amazing to have someone who looked like me and thought like me standing next to Chauvin in, in the first 60 seconds, because so I'd have pulled his last off of their, uh, Floyd and said, what are you doing? Or if someone who looked like me and thinks like me had been standing with Aaron Dean outside the window of a Tatiana Jefferson, or someone who looks like me and thinks like me was part of that entry team over at Breonna Taylor's home. I mean, I could go on and on, but we have to continue to have these discussions because they're expecting that pretty soon we're gonna change the channel. There's another young man who was shot and killed um, a few months before Breonna Taylor. His name is Mubarak Suleiman. He was a guy who was having a mental episode. He was in his vehicle. The officers were surrounding it, having a conversation with him. And then what happens? Billy Badass comes up on the passenger, on the driver's side, breaks out the window, shoots in the car six or seven times. And nobody's talking about that anymore. Why? Because Ahmaud Arbery's happened, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd. And so we have got to be vigilant, diligent, and keep our eye on the prize. Mm -hmm. Cheryl, I, I always enjoy talking with you because I think on both sides, we have to watch all of our isms. We don't want to be anti-police because there's so many great cops out there like you who are doing the hard work. And I just can't thank you enough for being so transparent because it helps me grow as a person. We're all asking the tough questions, not only of each other, but of ourselves. And I think I can be better when I hear people like you speak. It gives me a bit of hope and makes me be you know, still out there, not patient about it, but at least a little bit more peaceful in my soul that I know that there are good cops out there working toward the cause. Thank you. Thank you. Go let ahead. Let me just say this real quick. It's so important because none of us are immune, number one. And if we fail to admit there's a problem, then there's nothing to fix. And so thank you for this opportunity. I appreciate you both so much for letting me speak my truth. Hey, at the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. But before I get to, to the good Sergeant Dorsey, I want to talk about my next guest, Dr. Jeff Gardier. He's a sought-after mental health expert, and I'm telling you, you want to listen in to the rest of this episode. Now, let's get back to Sergeant Dorsey. Cheryl Dorsey, the retired sergeant for Los Angeles Police Department. What did I learn? Contempt of cop. I'm telling you. 
I don't think I understood the extent of how that goes on inside a police department, the hazing, the other things, the belittling uh, to, to make people buckle under, buckle down. I, I, I thought they would be a little bit stronger than that. But you know what? They're human. And I can see how bad apples um, affect the rest of the bushel. That's what I learned today. And, um, and we should be, and I think, take this action right now. Next time someone's running for mayor, next time someone's running for city council, you say, hey, what's your stand on the police department? Who do you, who, who do you want? What do you want to see as their conditions of satisfaction? That's what I learned today right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hislett. We're going to keep going. My next guest is Dr. Jeff Gardier. He's a sought-after mental health expert known as America's psychologist. He's an associate professor, course director of behavioral medicine at Turo College of, oh man, I'm going to, I'm going to get that wrong, osteopathic. I hope I got that right. Got medicine got in, in New York City, so it's good. So he's just down at Turo College. Well, that's an interesting place for you as well, and because um, I, I live in New York as well. So Dr. Jeff, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Hey, thank you. Hi, Ro. How are you doing? Hi, Jeffrey. I'm so glad you're joining us today. And, this is and awesome. For, uh, connecting me with Jeffrey and connecting me with you. It's good. Well, to you be- know, some, two good people right here. Good people. Good uh, people. Good. And this I, is this is what it's all about. This is that's Jeffrey squared. This is Jeffrey squared. <laughs> Jeffrey, Jeffrey squared. And we love that. So, hey, there's no secret. We have a long, very complicated history. I mean, I tell people there's no way you can fix this problem or or sympathize with the problem. No, you fix it's a different thing. Sympathize. I have a lot a lot of people saying, "Well, let me tell you my experience. I'm Jewish. I feel discrimination. I'm this. I feel discrimination. Or this one. I grew up over here. I feel it." And I said, "Listen, unless you go back to like 1610, right, and put shackles on, change the color of your skin, and grow up in a very oppressive." Uh, class society. You don't, you, you can't, you can't, you can't do that. But as we look at this, we've got unemployment, we've got COVID, we've got all these racial tensions. How can, how, Jeffrey, how can we take care of America's mental health right now? Well, I think people need to be honest about the way they feel. And this is something that has been absolutely wonderful. Uh, people were talking to Joe Biden and asked him uh, what he thought about what was going on uh, with the uh, peaceful protests uh, and demonstrations. And he said, you know what? It doesn't feel the same. Uh, it's not the same as it was in the 60s. And what, what is different here? People are really listening. That's number one. Number two, we're seeing less uh, property damage and less of the violence. There is some out there, but it's not the way that it was. And it speaks to me as, as to um, the fact that there is an embracing of what has been going on uh, with Black people Finally, we're looking at these things. Um, And the other part is that we see a real diversity in the people who've been marching and people are coming together. And we have people like you and Roe together working. And so this is something that we need. We can't do it alone as black people. We can't do it with just our Jewish friends who have always been by our side. We can't do it with liberal whites. We have to do it with everyone. And the interesting you talked about, Jeffrey, you know, the different friends. And I think, Roe, you said that the different friends you have. Man, I, I have friends who are ardent um, Trump supporters. Yeah. And, oh, you, know, yeah. you know, sometimes I get a little bit of a headache. Sometimes they do when we're talking about our different political views. But guess what? We respect one another and we agree to disagree and we understand something called humanity. And that's what has been missing for so long and what we're starting to finally see now. Racism. Yeah, 
Go ahead, Ro. No, 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 go on. Go I on. just going to say, when somebody tells me they're a Trump supporter, just gives me another reason to have another sip of scotch. But that's probably <laughs> not helpful helpful either. Ro, go ahead. No, I'm glad you made that point. But, uh, <laughs> Jeffrey, help us understand this. Uh, what does, when, when someone, after generations of their family, all they know in their life is that races, is racism and that they are the oppressed one, what does that really do to the psyche of a person? I, from mm. what I understand is that women who go to work, black women facing racism at work are like three times more likely to have cancer. How, how does racism affect you mentally and elsewhere? Yeah. yeah. And, and I've said this before. Um, I know some people have said racism is killing us. And they say racism is killing us because of the physical violence against us uh, in our communities, outside of our communities, and of course with the police. And we've all said this, you know, we know that the majority of uh, police officers, I know so many of them, I've, you know, worked with them, are good people, but it, it, it takes just the minority of police officers to completely destroy the force and what we need as far as uh, people to serve and protect. But what I have said is racism is killing us from a medical point of view, because mm. we are constantly on fight and flight uh, sorts of a physiological status. In other words, we're hyper aroused. We're always wondering what will happen to us next, what the next danger may be. When a cop car passes by us, we tense up. Um, you know, we're afraid for our lives in different places that we go. We never know, for example, if we're going for a mortgage application and they turn, I mean, it's everywhere and they turn us down or they want to see, you know, extra high, you know, credit scores because we're people of color. All of those things keep us on fight and flight. Constant adrenaline, constant cortisol, constant, you know, neurotransmitters, excitatories going off. After a while, the body begins to break down. It's having a, you know, a light switch on all the time that never turns off. The bulb burns out after a while. And that's why I really do believe that racism is killing us and putting us more at risk for all sorts of uh, uh, medical uh, conditions, such as heart problems and um, hypertension and on and on and on. Yeah, diabetes, everything. And when you yes. sit there and look at it, I mean, all those things are caused by that piece of it. <laughs> Although there would be some, and I'm going to say this, that would have said, oh, that's a genetic thing. No, it's an environmental piece. It's part of the of what you live. I, I'm just sitting here listening to you, Jeffrey, and I'm thinking, holy shit. Well, how come we haven't talked about this before? How, how come? Did, I'm going to ask you. You're both black, obviously. So I can ask you this question. Do you guys sit around and talk about this in this way and have a conversations? Because this is not a normal conversation between a white and a black person. I will tell you that. It's not. I've not had these kind of conversations like, are you constantly worried that somebody's if a cop car goes by and you tense up? Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. When I drive a fancy car through Hollywood, I know they'll stop me before they stop somebody else. And I'm a woman and I'm on TV and I know they'll do it. Um, yeah, I think it's it's uh, being I, you know, I, I can remember going to a store, very fancy store here on Larchmont in Larchmont Boulevard the owner following me around and wanting to look in my bags, you know, and even Oprah Winfrey has had issues like this. So I think if you are black in America, you live a very different America than our white friends. 
a very different America. And I think you have to understand, you don't know what someone has been through before they see you at the office or, you know, at, at church or whatever, because you're not only worried about your own life, you're worried about your, your husband, you run, your son. You, you run the gauntlet. You Before yeah. you get to work, you've already gone through a gauntlet. I, yeah, I can't even right. imagine what that's exactly. like. Exactly. And, and I have to tell you, and, and, and Ro can understand this experience too, and it's not lamenting, you know, and I think that's what starts happening when people hear us talk about these issues, they're like, well, but we've got issues too. And, you know, well, you can't keep complaining or this is all in your head. Let me tell you, there was a while uh, back where, ther- where, where black patients would complain that their therapist would say to them, this is all in your head. You're paranoid. And guess what? Some of it is in your head and you are paranoid. But just because I think I would be. it's yeah. real doesn't mean that you're paranoid, right? But I will tell you this. Um, I'm always concerned, not so much about driving and row like you, I love driving convertibles and so on. You know, I, I seem to do very, very well with police officers. I always have. Uh, but I will not, if I am at in a public place and I need to get somewhere, I will not run. I will walk mm. because I'm afraid, something. I'm afraid that if I run, if I'm running across somewhere, even though I'm an old dude, but if I'm running somewhere, mm. someone might think that I've done something and I can't take Ooh. that. Or, or here's one. Don't gather in two larger groups together because they'll think something's up. That's right. I mean, this goes back to slave days. OK. Yeah. Don't let this because they may be coming up with a revolt. <laughs> See, I got to tell you, I think that most most white and we have white executives that listen to the show are going to find this just eye-opening for them, but certainly ear-opening, and I think it's important. I, I like to go back to the mental piece for a second, just for every, you know, for everybody as well. Can you know we we saw something play out on television, which I think, thank God for George Eastman and Kodak, thank my old boss, uh, my old company, thank God for cameras, thank God for everybody having a camera phone. Because what happened to George Floyd was captured on, on you know, film or captured by video. And then the airing of that exposed this. Now, we've seen it before. But, this, but, but when a man is on the ground and he pleads and says, Mama, Mama, wow. you, I'm, I'm going to start to cry. And I'm me too. Because I can't. I'm, I'm six foot three, pretty big, broad guy. And I'm sitting here going like, like a baby. Are you kidding me? What do we got to do, Jeffrey, doctor? What do we got to do? to start to heal a little bit maybe, or do we, do we need to keep it raw and open for a while and, and, and go through the, the angst of all this, all this stuff right now until we get to a better place? Well, as the uh, prophet Elder Barge said, and I'm just joking when I say prophet Elder Barge, time will reveal. If you remember Mm. that, that uh, the group, uh, the singing family, they had a song called time will reveal. And I think we need to take it a day at a time and let it take its normal course. Some days we're going to be really angry and rageful. Other days we're going to be very solemn and we have to just think about and pray about and be spiritual as to what's going on. But all is in divine order and we will find the way. Um, And I am so glad that the series of events that we've seen have have not been for naught. Yeah. So many people died and disproportionate numbers were 
uh, black people and poor people and elderly people with regard to COVID-19. Their lives were not lost in vain because we have a tremendous amount of social change that is taking place as we speak. Ro, things are happening so much quicker than we've ever seen before. Even SCOTUS, you know, and what they they passed on LGBTQ rights and so on. These things are things that I I didn't think we we would ever see, but I was praying for every day. So we must continue this forward momentum, but I do predict it's going to get much uglier Yes, it gets better, especially as we begin to get towards the election. I, I got to say, as a TV person, I have never seen more people m- murdered right in front of my eyes on TV or killed since Vietnam days. I mean, what does that do to us sitting at home, Joe Schmo with his peanuts and beer and the kids sitting around watching people get shot and and asphyxiated to death right there before your eyes? Well, I will tell you this, before this, Jeff and Roe, before a certain event happened, we became desensitized to it. Just like we were desensitized to all of the the shootings, the school shootings and the mass shootings. It just became just a regular thing that we watched on TV and we would say, oh, how terrible this is. And we've got to pass, you know, sensible gun laws and so on. But there was an event that happened that changed all of that. That went from desensitizing to sensitizing us to what is going on in America. What's going on in the world, but specifically America. And it was called COVID-19. That was the, the, the curtain that was removed on everything that we covered over. Ugly little secrets of America. That's right. On everything that we adapted to. Because all of us. You know, black, white, Jewish, other, we adapted. We were like, okay, well, what do we need to do in order to make it? What do we have to swallow in order to make it in America? I know for black people, and Ro will tell you this, because Ro had a hard time with it. As a black person, you're not supposed to be the brightest bulb in the room. And you know for Ro, that's difficult. She is. Because Roe's on fire. Roe is talent, intelligence, all of these things, personality mixed into one. And so we had this unspoken rule, and, and, and Roe went through it too. We had this unspoken rule that, you know, we have to try to find out how to be able to show who we are in our talent, but at the same time, not being threatening to anyone else. I get accused for being too humble a lot. What now? Yeah, I get I get accused of being too humble a lot, yes, and yes. maybe that's psychologically where that comes from. That, I didn't even think about. I, I gotta I'm tell you, I don't have that problem. I, 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 I don't have that problem. I gotta. Well, what, you tell you, I, that, what you have is a sense of humor, and what you have is integrity, and that's yeah. what works for you. So we all find our way. But you yeah. know what? After a while, even though we want people to wear the mask for COVID nineteen. We've got to take off the mask that we wear that is black pain, that is, you know, all of the collective pain from the generations. We've got to take off that mask and be who we truly are. 
And and I'm going to say that, that a lot of white people need to take it off as well for the black guilt or white guilt and a lot of other things that they're feeling right now. Hey, I need to take a quick break. I'm going to come right back. I want to ask a real key question about do we turn it off or do we turn it on? Do we turn the volume up? That's what we want to talk about when we come back. C-Suite Radio. All right, we're back right now. We're live on LinkedIn and Facebook as we are bringing you a live cast of All Business with Jeffrey Hazlitt right here on C-Suite Radio, the world's largest business podcast network. And of course, I got my co-host here, Rolanda Watts. She's done C-Suite Radio and she is now a contributing editor here on C-Suite TV as well. And of course, we got Jeffrey Gardier and he is a world-renowned uh, psychiatrist, psychiatrist, right? Psychologist. Psychologist. Psych- See, I have verbal dyslexia. I can't say certain things. So thank you for that help. I'm, I'm worried, doctor, that with all of the desensitizing of what we've had and now we're, it's raw, it's open, I'm worried that people are going to turn it off that they're not going to want to, I'm watching people saying, I'm not going to pick up social media anymore. I'm not going to watch the news. And I'm concerned that because this issue has made it so in our face that they're going to back away from it. And we're not going to have those kinds of conversations because it's going to bother them mentally. What, what do you have to say about that? I think to some extent you may be right, Jeffrey. Um, I have a lot of friends. And as I said, my friends, by the way, I know, I know uh, some um, Hazlitt's, from Brooklyn, by the oh, way, yeah. Maple Street. So I don't know if there's any connection. We're but, all related, just like all people. We're all related, <laughs> oh, one go. way or the other. That's what we say about Gardeers. But, you know, <laughs> so it's this. Some friends of mine have called me, some conservative white friends of mine, uh, very good friends, who have said they think the direction of the country is not going in the right way. They feel, you know, as former police officers, and we're going to have some conversations on this ourselves, um, they feel that this is, uh, this may be, you know, too much, that we may be throwing out the baby with the bathwater. When we, when we have terms like defund the police, um, perhaps that's too big of a term and too wide of a swath versus let's look at moving monies around to more community policing, more EMTs, that sort of thing, but not actually defunding the police, um, but looking at better ways to structure the police force and getting the community involved. But when they hear terms like that, when they see you know all of these uh, laws being uh, uh, passed uh, so quickly, I think there are some people who are going to say, "Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa! This is this is too much, too soon. Wait a minute." We, we've got to digest this. And then I think there will be other people who benefit from those laws. And, and, and by the way, we all benefit from these laws. Okay. We all do. Um, we had a conversation where I said to someone, Hey, if we can understand black lives matter, if we get that, then guess what? Then all lives do matter. matter. We've, got exactly. to, we've got to, we've got to hit the, the tip of that, uh, ice cube first, right? The tip of that iceberg. But, you know, the the point is that, yes, I do believe, Jeffrey, um, that, um, and Ro, that there are going to be, there may be some backlash. And I think there are going to be political forces that are going to stoke that backlash, where people will say, we are your last hope between what's going on now and, you know, a society that you're not going to recognize. People will take advantage of that instead of helping it along and getting freedom for all. 
Mm. Well, fantastic. And you've said it well. We appreciate it. We're going to have to have you back. This has been a great conversation. I I learned so much through these kinds of conversations, having people on the podcast, having people on these live casts. Um, so it's it's I know I'm supposed to be doing it for our listeners, but I'm doing it for myself. So thank you very much. Oh, always a pleasure. Thank you. And Ro, thank you for all of the incredible work you've done in all of our communities, but especially the black community. Thank and you. listen, thank you so much. Thank you. And Jeffrey, thank you for being a friend to our community, but to all communities. We need more. Well, thank you. Thank you, brother. I hope to be even bigger friend because we're not going to let this go. I'm like a dog on a bone now. It's Pumping enough. up the volume. This is, there's just no way to treat people. There's no way to live a life. And I'm done with it. I, I am absolutely done with it. I've been a, a staunch, staunch, staunch uh, equalitist. And so I got to do a better job. I've, I've not lived up my potential. As I like to say, uh, until we are all free, none of us can be free. Hey, at the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. And I want to talk about Dr. Jeff Gardier. I tell you what I learned today. Did you comprehend the gauntlet that black people have to run every day, either going to the office or going home? And I'm sure it's not just blacks. I'm sure it's brown as well. Um, that was a term that the police sergeant used, black and brown. So I'm going to use it here. And I can you imagine what it's like to hear an, an ambulance to be pulled over in a car? Yes, sir. No, sir. No. I know many of us do that, but hey, we're different color. And I'm telling you, the stress that's got to take on you, to have to tell your kid, pull up this, do this, don't look at this, uh, walk this way. If you get pulled over, you do this. I mean, we shouldn't have to do that in this country. That's what I learned right here in All Business with Jeffrey Hazel. Don't forget, tell your friends. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.